Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh, what's that sound, Mike? Well, every time a bell rings, a new See You on the Other Side patron joins the See You on the Other Side Patreon community. Hooray! And this week, we would like to thank our friend Chelsea Chelsea. for joining us in the See You on the Other Side Patreon community. Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us, and we're looking forward to having further weird conversations with you. Yes. uh, Yes, we saw Chelsea at the Haunted America convention. Two years in a row, yes. actually. And uh, so we met, and then we got to deepen our relationship. And now we even get to hang out more Yay. because she's on the sea on the side Patreon. So if you guys are interested in joining that, check out othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And here's a quick reminder for all our patrons. Now, Wendy and I and Allison and Scott Marcus and uh, Lisa from Madison Ghost Walk. So the, the crew that usually goes to the conventions, we are going to the Michigan Paranormal Conference oh, this weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, can't wait. We're driving, what is it, like 12 hours to get up there? It's just eight hours. Oh, so it's, it's only eight bad. hours. Okay. A full day's work, it's, driving the Sunspot van, rolling up to northern Michigan yep. to Sault Ste. Marie. Yep. It's actually the, the Canadian border. So we are, uh, we might do some raids into Canada. <laughs> We haven't, we haven't talked about it last year. Are we going to take all their maple syrup? We're going to take all their maple syrup, and we're going to take their funny actors and bring them, we kidnap them and bring them down so we can get some new Jim Carrey's and Michael J. Fox's and William Shatner's. Sounds like a good plan. Down here. Okay. So anyway, um, we're going to be invading Canada this weekend by going up to Sault Ste. Marie, <laughs> and there's a lot of cool people at the Michigan Paranormal Conference. So if there's something you would like to see, or if there's a certain person you have a question for, let us know. We will do that. We'll, we can live broadcast into the See You on the Other Side Patreon Facebook group. Oh, yeah. Um, we and can you know, do little videos and answer questions for you, and that's what we're going to be doing this weekend. Yeah, and if you want to see who's going to be there at the Michigan Paracon, you can just uh, Google search Michigan Paracon, and you'll see the list of speakers and whatnot. So if you see anybody you're really curious about, or you want us to go up and ask somebody something, or, or you know, bug, take notes or on their, their presentation, any of those things, just let us know, because we're here for you. You're our patrons, yes, and we so are. we are here to serve you. And if you see anybody and have any ideas for us to punk them, let us know, <laughs> because we'll... <laughs> We'll we'll try to find a way to punk them. So it really is going to be a good time. So um, and if you're going, please make sure that we uh, get to know you. Come up and say hi. We'll probably be wearing our "See You on the Other Side" T-shirts at some point, possibly Sunspot shirts. Oh Um, yes, we'll probably in the signatures bar, the lounge. That it was our Uh, hangout last year. We did a lot of bad karaoke, and it will be our hangout again. Yes. So. We're looking forward to anyway having a good weekend. And the thing about these uh, paranormal conventions is it's a great place to meet new people, and it's a great place to meet some of the people you've seen on television or you read their books, and now we have a chance to ask them questions directly. Right. So if there's anybody up there you see, then we will go and we will attack them with your questions. And I'm so you. excited because I love going to these things and seeing presentations and then taking down the name of the person and their website so that we can contact them and get them on our show, and then we can yes. ask them the deeper questions. You know, get a right. little little more into it. So we can get beyond the one oh one. Yeah. 
And that's what we're going to be doing. So anyway, so that's some of the fun stuff that we're doing up this weekend. Now, this interview this week, it's kind of a follow-up from an interview we did in January uh, with a Texan named Lyle Blackburn. And he's the guy that was saying, you know, Wendy, when we went to the Museum of the Weird in Texas, in Austin, Texas, Lyle was the guy, he was on Storage Wars or whatever, like he was one of the guys helping out move the Minnesota Iceman, which we just talked about in our State Fair episode. Yes. Uh, from Minnesota to Texas. And so he's like, you got to go see. He's like, hey, man, you got to go see that Museum of the Weird. And we did. And thank you for the suggestion, Lyle, because that was so much fun. (laughs) I loved it. And so this is kind of a follow-up because we're interviewing his partner in crime in the Small Town Monsters movie series. And uh, that is Seth Breedlove, who's the director. And so the thing is, now Seth has just finished a movie that's coming out in October about the Bray Road Beast. Yes. And you guys are probably familiar with Linda Godfrey. She's our friend. She's been on the show a bunch of times. And I grew up about 20 miles from the Bray Road Beast. You did. And we also have a friend who thinks he saw the Bray Road Beast. Oh, my God. We totally have a friend that thinks yeah. he saw the Bray Road Beast. One of our recording engineers. Wait, go over this again. Tell me about it. Well, one of the times we were discussing cryptids, as we do, uh, on Facebook somewhere, and he replied and he said, I think my wife and I saw the Bray Road Beast. And so, of course, I'm like, what, when? And, you know, he described the whole situation where they were driving and they were on one of those less trafficked roads. And they saw off in the distance, like, what matches the description of the Bray Road Beast, a bipedal canine (laughs) kind of standing off in the distance. And, um... Anyway, it was awesome because that's the only eyewitness I, other than, you know, what I've heard from Linda, of course, but that's the only other eyewitness. And we know a lot of people in this area, so it's cool that one of them, two of them saw. Yeah. And and the thing is, when we were kids, so Wendy and I would have been just, I don't know, starting high school, I think, when when the Bray Road Beast uh, was in the news. And they would talk about a werewolf in Elkhorn, Wisconsin on the Milwaukee News. Yes. And, and so you, if you were, and my parents watch the news every night, they still do, even though I find it tedious. And especially back then, it was even extra tedious. Oh, yeah. And it was plus the Milwaukee news in the 1980s and early 1990s was like murder, murder, yeah. murder, murder. I would always stay up for the weather forecast. And then I just, you know, the rest of it, I kind of just tuned out. <laughs> right. But, uh, and, and so I'd be like, this is pretty boring. Like, who wants to hear about local politics? But I definitely wanted to hear about werewolves. And so... That was the thing is like with this, the Bray Road Beast is our hometown monster. So the fact that Seth is coming um, from Ohio and he, they, and him uh, and his team, they came up to Elkhorn, Wisconsin to do a whole video about it and a whole movie is really exciting to us. So, um, well, I won't waste your time. Let's get to talking to Seth. So Allison from Milwaukee Ghost, she joins uh, me on this interview with Seth Breedlove and we discuss his new uh, documentary coming out October 5th. On the Bray Road Beast. Seth Breedlove is the creative powerhouse behind the Small Town Monsters film series. Available on Amazon Prime on DVD, Small Town Monsters is an independent film series exploring lost and bizarre history around the United States. Focusing on small town folklore, his team tells stories through words and experiences of those who were most affected by them, residents and witnesses. Seth joins us today to talk about his upcoming release about our hometown monster here in Wisconsin. It's the Bray Road B. 
East. Welcome to see you on the other side, Mr. Breedlove. Hey, thanks for having me. All right. Well, you know, we just had Lyle Blackburn on it in January. And he was telling us about how much he loves the Small Town Monster series and working with you. He was saying about how excited he was to talk about the Beast of Bray Road. And of course, we're excited about it. We're going to get to that in a minute. First of all, um, we want to hear about your weirdo origin story. So like how did, (laughs) you know, getting into this, well, no, seriously, getting into this field requires a, a serious leap of faith because you have to be able to be like, okay, I'm in, you know, you don't just, uh, you know, you don't just do it when you when you become a professional weirdo. Uh, it really takes a certain kind of character. So, how did you become that character, Seth? My my origin story is shockingly dull. Like I I basically I I was not really into the paranormal or or like cryptids or any of this stuff until much later in life. I was like in my early twenties, so I didn't grow up like interested in hometown monsters or anything like that i just i it it, there came a point in my life where i was working in like medical billing and it's the boringest job on earth and um (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i was listening to a lot of podcasts and i was listening to podcasts especially about like the strange and unusual because it helped me pass the time at work and um it's like part of what kind of got me into this i mean like what really sort of baptized me into looking, you know, into subjects like this for myself was uh, there were a series of Bigfoot sightings outside of the small town where I, where I had grown up. And I had found out they were taking place on this one stretch of road um, below my hometown of Bolivar, Ohio. And I would, during lunch breaks, I would drive down on this road for myself just to see if I could magically happen upon a Bigfoot. And, um, I started interviewing and talking to people that lived along the road just for fun and, uh, kind of collecting stories for myself. And, uh, that was kind of what really got me going into this. But like, I mean, that was in probably 2005, 2006, and it's now 2018. It wasn't, it wasn't like an overnight thing, you know, that got me to the point where I'm making movies about it. I did a I did a podcast for a few years called Sasswhat, um, and I I write I wrote about the subject uh, online, but it was a a strange sort of slow, um, you know, transition into this. At what point though did you go from like working on podcasts to or you know to listening listening to podcasts to then going to ask people about their Bigfoot experiences? Because that's a big leap right there. You just you just like stop by somebody's house and be like, "Hey, <laughs> you seen like a eight foot tall hairy guy walking around?" The thing is that I've always I've always been into like um, journalism. I I went to um, I went to school for one day. Uh, to be a, to be a newspaper reporter, um, and uh, so so I was writing. I was actually in addition to medical billing. I was I was doing freelance journalism for local newspapers, um, and so I think those that, that kind of like dovetailed. Like if I have an interest in something, I'm probably going to go talk to people about it that claim to be experiencing it just because of my my background as a reporter. Um, so so it was just knowing. The people from that area, not necessarily the people I was talking to, but I knew the area and I know what people are like down there. And um, I actually, the first, I can remember very vividly, the first people I talked to were this poor uh, 
uh, hapless um, elderly couple who were walking down St. Peter's Church Road outside of Bolivar. And I was driving in my car and I saw them walking and I was like, huh, I wonder if they've ever seen anything. So I just like <laughs> pulled over in front of them and got out. And, and, you know, like these people were probably like, what is this crazy person about to do to us? Um, but I just went back and asked them about, about like Bigfoot. And um, it was interesting too, because they didn't have like a sighting or anything for themselves, but they had been finding deer um, that were ripped in half um, and the the hides were ripped off and stuffed up oh, in trees man. and stuff like that. So, so it was like really weird um, sort of like animal kill kind of stuff. And that, that was like, they were the first people I'd ever spoken to about it. Um, and then from there, it just kind of like uh, bloomed over time. You know, like our, some of the first witnesses I talked to were the Caton family who we ended up documenting uh, in, in our first movie, the Minerva monster. Um, so, and that was all, that all kind of happened over probably five or six years because what happened was after I started talking to those people, it kind of gave me this idea of doing a book called small town monsters. Uh, and in 2013, I started pitching small town monsters, this guidebook to America's rural monsters. I pitched it to like a bunch of different publishers and um, they all rejected me. Um, and so, what fools! Yeah, we we yeah. don't reject you, Seth. We love your small town. Monsters. We embrace you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I have to ask a, a couple of things uh, came to me as as uh, you were telling that um, history. So, is is that podcast that you did? Is that still out there? And what was it called again? Oh yeah, uh, it was called Sass What, uh, a podcast about Bigfoot, um, and. We don't, it's funny because when we kicked off, I think that show kicked off in probably 2012, 2013, or maybe it was 2014. I can't remember. Anyway, like, um, the, it's, it, it was a weirdly, like, it became a fairly popular show somehow. Um, we had, we had a, a, quite a bit of listens and now I look back and like the show's almost got like a million listens on, on the 100 episodes obviously spread out over the 100 episodes that we put out but i mean for a tiny little bigfoot podcast that was essentially my friend mark and i just kind of rambling about things we found (laughs) uh amusing or annoying about the subject and the community um it built its own cool little following and and i mean i guess i could more news is we're we're kind of like um we're looking to get back into radio. So we're supposed to be, there's a radio station here where I live that that was their big show. For some reason, our Sasquatch shows like their most listened to radio show. So they've been after me for like the last two years to come back and do like another radio show. So I think Mark and I are going to do like some sort of, um, but, but the thing about Sasquatch was we were locked into just Bigfoot and our interests are obviously much much more varied than just Bigfoot. So I think sometime in the next uh, few months, we'll be starting on that show, which I don't have a definitive name yet, but we're leaning toward the anomalous archives right now, but we'll see see what happens. Another see you on the other side exclusive. Yeah. (laughs) That's great stuff. And I wanted to ask you as a similar kind of weirdo, I'm, I'm feeling some kindred spirit vibes here. Now, when you, uh, I wondered if you have some, um, tips about how to how to approach people 
<laughs> with the strange questions that you have. You know, how do you broach the subject of, have you seen a strange hairy creature? <laughs> I mean, what, what kind of uh, things have you learned along the way um, with all the amazing interviews that you've done? Uh, everyone's different. And like, that's like, I, I, I actually usually approach people and just talk to them about things other than the strange and unusual or, or their experiences. The, the perfect example is actually, um, uh, Fred, Fred May, um, Ed and Fred May were the brothers that were in our Flatwoods monster movie. And, um, as, as we were going to film that movie, Fred was done doing interviews. He had told everyone mm. he, he had given his last interview. He was done. He had no interest in talking about it anymore. And his brother, Ed had never spoken about it period, including with Fred. So Fred had never even spoken to Ed since they were kids. And the incident happened about the event. And when we shot Ed's interview, it was actually the first time Fred had ever heard Ed speak about it period. So, um, Fred and I met in in Sutton, West Virginia, thanks to the um, Flatwoods Monster uh, Museum curator, who's also the Braxton County um, tourism manager or supervisor, whatever you would call him. His name's Andrew Smith. But he had hooked up a meeting between us. We sat on Fred's porch for about two and a half hours um, and just talked about everything except the Flatwoods Monster. And I kind of got him to the point where he, you know, like he he came to trust me just through through talking. I, th I think the most important thing when you're approaching witnesses is just to realize they're human beings and kind of have, you know, a conversation with them that you'll figure it out. So how did you get Fred to talk to you though? Okay. You, you set it up. Now let's knock it down. Like, okay. So Fred wouldn't talk to, or Ed I, I, wouldn't I, I talk to anymore. You. Fred wouldn't talk to anybody. Yeah. But how did you do it? I, d I don't know, man. Uh, it, it really is. I just, I talk to people and I, I have a, um, I can, this this might sound egotistical. It's not. I'm good at figuring people out, and it's probably the only trait that I bring to small town monsters naturally. Like everything else is has been tr trying, you know, like learning editing and learning filmmaking and all that. I've had to learn all that stuff. The sort of figuring people out part of it is something I've always been able to do, and it's the the only thing that I can say about my work on small town monsters where I can definitively state, well, that was probably because I knew how to deal with that person. Like, like Howie Caton, who we put in our Minerva monster movie had never spoken to anyone about that case. And I got him to talk on camera about it. So I don't know what to like. I don't know how to answer it. It's pretty much just talking to people, putting them at ease, making them understand we're not there to make a laughing stock of them. Um, right. And, you're taking it seriously, giving yeah, them a forum yeah. where they haven't had one before. Exactly. And you're also trying to, um, you know, make sure we're not trying to get something from them and we're not there necessarily to like use them. We really want them to be able to have their own voice heard. Um, and I think our movies do a good job, even as we've straight, like our first three movies have this very straightforward documentary approach. There's no recreations. There's nothing. It's literally just witnesses telling their story. And then with the Mothman of Point Pleasant, it started to change. And we started doing recreations and animated sequences. And we've kind of gone more and more into that with each film. But at the end of the day, like they're still very much about the witnesses and the people that sort of investigate these stories and we let those people tell the story rather than us try to insert ourselves into the storytelling. We're not trying to push a narrative. It's all about 
letting the people that are involved sort of dictate where the story is going to go. Have you ever cut off somebody because they're too crazy? No, no, I haven't. Like, like we've, we've lucked out in terms of, that's a good question though, but, uh, yeah. Cause well, you, you set everything up and you're like, oh my God, I don't even want to waste like digital yeah. is practically free and I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste hard drive space on you. I, I, there was someone that was, um, cut out of the Bray road movie, but it wasn't because she was crazy. It was just cause her story was, I mean, it was a very out there story, but it didn't play into the story we were telling. Um, and it would have taken us off on a rabbit trail that, you know, we, we couldn't find a way to get out of once we were down this rabbit trail. Yeah. It was kind of like an outlier from the other stories where they were leading it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just telling my wife this morning, like there, there's, there's a very clear cut sequel to Bray road to be made if we want to at some point down the road because there's all really sorts of, yeah there's all sorts of rabbit trails we didn't really get to go down we're we're about to announce at the mothman festival we're going to be announcing that our next movie is called terror in the skies and it's all about uh, well you're involved allison so you already know this yeah <laughs> uh, it's all about thunderbird sightings around illinois and and the midwest and it's but what i, I don't know if i mentioned to you is that it's kind of like a, a spiritual sequel to the mothman of point pleasant and then after that, we are just straight up making a sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant called the Mothman Legacy. Um, right. And, and those three. Similar to, is that similar to um, Lauren's book? Um, no, it's more about it, it, what I want it to be as a companion piece to the Mothman of Point Pleasant. There's a lot of aspects of that story we didn't get to tell. Um uh, you know, like we didn't really spend too much time on John Keel's involvement. We didn't spend too much time on like Gray Barker's involvement. We didn't really get into the men in black and, and a lot of the UFO activity that was going on around the area. And there's, there's plenty of, of witnesses still in the area there in Point Pleasant that haven't been spoken to, especially modern day witnesses. So we want to, we want to have this basically at the end of that movie when that movie is finally finished. And by the way, that movie won't even be coming till 2020. I said, I said that's like next after Terror in the Skies. It's not. It's like it's going to be Terror in the Skies, Momo, the Bell Witch, and then and then the Mothman Legacy. So it's coming, but it's like 2020 till it comes. Wow! Well, you got got such a defined plan. Mm-hmm. Let's go into the process here because that's that's the thing. And you're talking about movies that are you know three or four years down the road, mm-hmm. and so when you get in the process of looking for stories. Now, when you start with the beast of Bray road, your process, I mean, you can start with Linda Godfrey obviously because she, you know, wrote the actual book on the beast of Bray road. But when it's coming to, you know, researching and starting to find the witnesses, where's the first place you look like when you're, when you're starting to make a movie like this newspaper articles, just, I think that, I think that's because of my background more than anything, but I don't, I, I think it's very, um, I don't want to say lazy, but it's very lazy <laughs> of people uh, that research this stuff who will solely go to other authors' work and kind of mine it for information. Because while people like Lauren and Lyle are, are amazing authors and they do tons of research and all that, there's always breadcrumbs that are still waiting to be found on these stories. So where I always start is like historical research. And then I kind of build, you know, I build my list from there of, of people I want to interview and where I think the story is going to go. Um, 
so with this Illinois Thunderbird thing, I haven't actually even read a book about the the Thunderbirds uh, sightings yet, other than uh, I've read portions of Mark Hall's um, book about uh, Thunderbirds. And I actually did that when I was making the Mothman of Point Pleasant, um, because some of the stories he was talking about in that tied into the, the Point Pleasant. So, so I start with, I start with news, newspaper archives and I actually make a list of names. Anytime a name pops up in those, in those articles, I find, I make a list of names and then I, um, start doing my creepy detective background searches, trying to find these people, which is is very difficult. Can you give us an example of a breadcrumb you found that led to something that you're like, holy crap, I never heard this before. So so in the in the previous films you have have done, like doing that research, like going in and finding the newspaper research, what's an example of a breadcrumb that led you to something you're like, nobody's ever covered this before. So you were super excited to shoot it or super excited to put it in the movie. Yeah, the, the there were there were a few actually in the Mothman movie, which is astonishing because that, that story's been covered by so many different people. The the one that stood out to me was a newspaper article that had mentioned a sighting of a strange craft on Route 77 North headed toward Parkersburg on the same night that the the injured cold encounter had happened um, with with Woody Derenberger. Um, and it was something I hadn't really seen anywhere else where um, this, this newspaper article actually mentioned a sighting that had taken place the same night as Darren Berger's encounter within like a mile or two of each other, by the way. So, wow. Yeah. And that was, that was one that was really interesting. And it's really funny too, because I was so excited to have that in the movie and it's mentioned, I mean, it's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing in the Mothman point. Plus it's mentioned through Lyle's narration. Real quick for the listeners. If you guys aren't familiar with Indrid Cold, he is the grinning man. Uh, we wrote a song about him for a conversation we had about the Mothman originally with with Lauren, but so this is the idea that the the, the grinning man's like a Men in Black kind of character, right? Um, it, to, maybe to an extent. I I I've always like separated it into like uh, more of like like I, I always think of Darren Berger as one of the very early like contactees, like alien contactees, because like, he went so far down the rabbit trail after he encountered the the grinning man um and he like as a person really fascinated me i actually located his daughter because she lives about an hour from me up in in a home in cleveland um and i went and spoke to her and interviewed her for a uh a mini series i did like a small town monsters uh short film series that you can watch for free on youtube called case files and uh i did an episode about injured cold where it was just kind of woody derenberger's ta- uh, daughter um kind of reminiscing about the effect that her dad encountering Indrid had on her life and her family's life. It's a really sad, tragic kind of story where like, because of Darren Berger meeting this man that night, like eventually his entire family life collapses and he's so far down the rabbit hole of trying to encounter Indrid and like convince people of his encounters that his family life just goes away. So, um, yeah, and and that was a rabbit trail or a breadcrumb, I guess, that no one had really explored that I was excited to get to kind of dive into was, um, but I mean, it, it wasn't done in a movie. It was done in a free YouTube short that no one watched. <laughs> 
Well, but that's exploring the human toll of these kind of encounters. Number one, you had a great new revelation that there's a UFO sighting the same day that, you know, the Grinning Man shows up a mile away. So that further gives us the association of an alien involvement in the whole Mothman saga. And then you find out that this encounter leads to ruin a guy's life. And then, you know, the dark side of the things that we're excited about, like, oh, my God, I'd love to see the Grinning Man. Would you love to meet the Grinning Man? Yeah. Well, and that plays into, you know, John Keel's whole theme of the Mothman prophecies, you know, that there's there's these other intelligences out there and, and, you know, they're unknowable and and for the most part and they're I don't know, they're playing around. They're toying with us. They're. you know, who knows what their what their motives are, but they may not be good. Yeah, that that whole um, ultra terrestrial kind of um, aspect of Keel's work has really uh, inspired um, the direction of like the show we're trying to get off the ground. So, like, if we ever get around to doing this show with Adam Wingard that we're trying to to develop right now, um, the first season will focus very heavily on on that kind of like Keel's hypothesis and interdimensional kind of stuff and ultra terrestrial and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and I, I have to add that, you know, I, I just want to commend you for the work that you've done, give, giving up people who, who've had these extraordinary experiences of forum, because, you know, that's one of the prevailing travesties, I guess, in, in our society that were because of this, materialist um, worldview that we have uh, an important part of the human experience is cut off from us you know <laughs> uh, people have had extraordinary numinous experiences throughout time and and now we're just supposed to brush them under the rug or I don't know we're, we're not supposed to be able to deal with them or uh we're we're just supposed to be able to laugh at them and just ignore it. And it doesn't stop them from happening. Well, Seth, have you found that over time that people are more or less likely to talk to you since you've been more established and now doing this for, I mean, even in the course of the past half a decade um, that you've been working on this? I I don't think a lot of people still know who we are and, and that's worked to our, works to our advantage. As far as, as far as witnesses go, I don't think a lot of, people even know who we are to begin with. So, so we're fine. We're not on like the travel channel. So I think there's a little more, it's just, it might be a little easier to gain their trust as far as like investigators and things like that go. I think they're excited to work with us just because of, we're not trying to make investigators look like crazy people either. So, um, so I don't think it's, it hasn't really changed. There's still a, a big aspect of this that is just convincing people that we're not there to make them a laughing stock. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty much stayed the same. The, the easiest part of it has been working with people like Lyle, um, on some of these projects, not Mothman and not, um, Bray and probably not the Thunderbird movie, but he is working with us on the Momo project and he's done a lot of that research himself. So like he brings that research to the project. Um, so things like that simplify the game a lot because I don't have to do as much other research work and I can focus more on what the film 
the filmmaking side of the the project is going to be like. I mean, that's what one of the unfortunate, not unfortunate, but just one of the aspects of what we do that kind of um, can complicate the process is the fact that I am acting in so many different roles. But I mean, everyone on the crew is, you know, acting in multiple roles, but I do all the research and I, I talk to the witnesses and I schedule the interviews and, you know, with the help of my wife, I'm also like organizing rental cars and get equipment rental and like where we're staying while we're in these places and all that stuff. Um, so sometimes we're figuring out what the look of a movie is and what the style and tone of a movie is as we're making it. Um, ideally we would not be in that situation. Ideally we'd be kind of like, we'd go into it knowing what the project is going to be. And it's interesting because you can look at, and this is just me being like really frank. You can look at the movies that, that have a specific tone and everything in mind when we're filming them. And if I tell you which ones they are, it becomes much more apparent because it's obvious that we knew going in exactly how stylistically we were going to shoot the movie and everything. So like Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, we had a very specific tone in mind when we shot that movie. And it shows in the way it's shot and the way the movie plays out and everything. But Flatwoods Monster was shot on a much briefer timetable and we didn't have that kind of pre-planning going into it. So it's a little less of a stylistic you know there's there's less stylism i guess in, in what's going on on screen and what would you say about the the new uh bray road beast movie what were your impressions from that uh you mean like filmmaking wise or like the case everything okay uh, but, <laughs> yeah so like, like th- did you go into it with a certain stylistic yes. approach or uh you know did you feel it evolving through people's no, stories oh, it, it, it we went in with this very specific like let's make a hammer horror film <laughs> um, out of out of like a modern day cryptid and then it morphed into something completely different so and you're you're still going to see the very like hammer horror-esque um aspects of the movie especially the the way it opens um with the book of the beast to, or the there's like a we created this book and it's supposed to be very much like an old 1960s horror movie. The, the movie opens with like this creepy book opening and then you go into the book. And, <laughs> um, so, so there's still elements of it in there and certain sh- scenes are shot certain ways because of old hammer movies, the lighting on like Linda's interview and like the background, a lot of the lighting decisions we made in the interviews is based on old hammer movies. But, um, there was an interview. And you made Linda dress up like Christopher Lee. Yeah, we did. She's, <laughs> it was great. She's in one of those, uh, she's one, in one of those cowls and everything. It's really beautiful. But, um, yeah, we, I've seen her wear it too. We, we, um, <laughs> she's wearing last, it everywhere now. <laughs> on the last day, we, we had two interviews scheduled for some reason. The, the last day we were leaving at um, around noon on Saturday in, from Elkhorn and we were going to drive home. We had two interviews scheduled back to back. One was with uh, the Walworth County Animal Control Officer who had investigated the case in the beginning and had the werewolf file. We interviewed him. Right. And then we interviewed the Brays afterward, Larry and Bob Bray, who owned the first Bray farm when you turn on to Bray Road. That's the Bray farm. Um, so we were interviewing them and we were interviewing him. And John's interview was the first up. And I think we interviewed him around 10 o'clock and it completely changed everything about the movie. Like we just, we were sitting in this interview. It's the most creeped out I've ever been in an interview. It's the most unsettling interview I've ever given. 
the man at one point mentioned Satan and a and a bird, a black bird flew into the window behind him. Wait, you got to set this up then. Where did you interview him that you were so creeped up? Were you like in his basement or no, something no, like that? No, no, we no. Were, we were in the living room of the rental house we were in. He just, the, the subject matter was so unnerving and what he was talking about was so unnerving that um, it just changed the, the, the direction we were going to take the movie. The movie was going to be sort of a, I wouldn't say fun. We, we wanted it to be dark. We knew it was going to be horror, but it was going to be much more in the realm of like the sixties. So it was going to be a little kitschy and it was going to be, you know, like, and you're going to see some elements of that still in the, in the way we did the interviews, but his interview about animal mutilations and, and people's pets having their genitals ripped off and stuff like, like it just changed um, the entire direction we've taken the movie and the movie. Now, if you've seen the two trailers that we've put out, like it's pretty apparent, this is a darker sort of tone than what we've done with our other movies. Um, This is like the first film we've made where I would not feel comfortable without warning people that their kids maybe shouldn't watch it or like to watch it really? before their well, children Are you saying that the Beast of Bray Road might be a veterinarian, like giving out spangs <laughs> and neuterings for free? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly that's certainly a, a, a possibility. But <laughs> no, I mean- Not a very good one. No, the, just the, the interview was just really unsettling. And, and like on the drive home, we it was all we talked about for six hours on the drive home from- Wisconsin was John's interview and, and kind of like what we wanted to do with the movie. We called Brandon cause Brandon had flown back to Los Angeles from Elkhorn and on the, on the drive back, we were like talking to him on the phone about what we wanted the music to sound like. Cause we had ideas about the music that were informed by this interview. I've just never had that happen where one interview completely changed what we were thinking about. It even changed the, the poster, you know, like Sam, Sam Sheeran does all our posters and they're all very like monster centric, like straightforward. Here comes the monster kind of like eye catching kind of thing. And I said, as soon as we got in the car, like we need a more like vague, creepy, unsettling poster than just Sam's monster. We're going to have to have something that's different from that for the official one sheet. So it, it changed everything. It really did. Well, what's interesting here, though, is is when you think about, okay, so number one, let's think about the Bray Road Beast as when we first heard about it on the news in the in the 1990s, you know, and even in Linda's research is the idea that there's this like bipedal canid walking around in East Troy in, in Alcorn in this area. And do you feel like your opinion of it, like maybe this interview or as you did research changed from something that was... Uh, very terrestrial, very material to something that maybe wasn't as material? Um, yeah, to an extent, especially his interview and Linda's interviews. Like they actually, I, I tend to approach these stories. I, I'm, I'm naturally a skeptical person. So like, and, and I don't bring that aspect of myself to our movies. I know how to be objective, but but I personally tend to be pretty skeptical about a lot of the stuff we, we make films about. And, and um, so I came into this thinking for myself that more than likely everything was some sort of misidentification of, of a known animal. And I mean, in talking with both of them, I, I don't think there's an easy answer for what is going on or what was going on around Elkhorn, you know, in, in the late, late eighties, early nineties, 
um, and what still goes on today, especially when you get into, you know, the Gadara story that she tells about St. Coletta's and the, the, the satanic, uh, occult rituals that were supposedly taking place around Bray Road when the sightings kicked off. Like, is there some sort of connection, you know, like that kind of thing. So that, that was cool for me because I, I expected to kind of, I, I thought, I thought I knew where the story was going to go. I thought I knew exactly how this movie was going to play out and it was going to be very much like the Mothman movie. And we were going to walk through people through this timeline of events. And, um, and then John's interview, like threw a wrench in the works. And, and, and what's funny is like, I wasn't the one that asked the question about the satanic rituals. I really didn't care to be honest. Like I didn't think that particular aspect of the story was going to play a part in our movie. It was Brandon who does our music. Um, he was the one that really wanted to hear what John had to say about that. So he had asked John about it and it, it just set off this whole string of answers that kind of really influenced uh, the direction the movie takes. And, and the weird thing about it too, is like John was clearly um, impacted by those events, the things he found, the, the animals he found, the, you know, the stuff that was going on around the town, the fact that there were like prominent, members of the community that apparently were involved in some of this occult stuff. Um, so w- all of that was really appealing to me too, because it, it turned the story for the, the movie from what was just another small town monsters cryptid case into something a little more true crime, a little more like real world. Um, but also going probably further into the supernatural than we've ever gone before. So there were a lot of things about that that really appealed to me. Well, I think one of the one of the really interesting things there is, you know, I'd heard very little about satanic rituals and stuff like that happening in Elkhorn and East Troy and stuff. But I got to say, in the winter of 1994, I'm in McQuanago, Wisconsin, which is a dump, maybe 15 miles out of Milwaukee, but it's clo- <laughs> it, it's close it's to <laughs> it's close to like Delavan, Lake Geneva, East Troy. Like it's you know, only a few miles away, and I'm at this abandoned hotel that never opened and only was opened as a golf course later on. And so we're sneaking through this abandoned hotel that always had ghost stories and things. We broke in in the middle of the night. Rainbow Springs. Rainbow Springs. We're rolling through it. <laughs> if you were wondering. And I come upon a, a room, and this is for real. Somebody had drawn a pentagram, and it killed a chicken in that room. Yeah. Like their knowledge of satanic rituals comes straight out of like 1980s heavy metal music yeah. videos. Like it's an Ozzy like Osbourne <laughs> Right, but somebody kills a chicken, and I'm sitting there, and this is the mid '90s already, and I'm like, "Who kills? Who sacrifices a chicken? Like, really? Like, who? Somebody had done this, and very recently, and nobody, you know, it's a place that only you know people don't explore the hotel on a regular basis, especially in the middle of winter because the windows are broken and there's snow in the rooms and things like that, and and so somebody had come in and done this clearly like kind of satanic ritual in there, and I'm thinking. Good Lord. Is this for like, is this for real? Was some kid trying to like, I kill a chicken so he could graduate high school. Like how did this happen? And the idea that also there were satanic rituals happening just a couple years early, only a few miles away kind of makes me think, all right, is there something more to this? Did I stumble in something a little crazier than I thought? Was there a reason for the satanic panic? It's, it's actually, a, it's, it's cool. You mentioned the satanic panic thing because like, um, 
so we were we were very aware of like the satanic panic going on right around it would have been right around the time that all the the bray road stuff kicked off because you're talking in 1989 it's like the height of all that and um there is a part of me that wonders if john didn't get wrapped up in that to an extent i'm talking about john frederickson the the walbert county animal control officer because some of the things he said led me to believe he might have gone into some of this with a predetermined, you know, there could be something satanic taking place. But there definitely were things going on around Elkhorn that I think merited investigation and the local police don't seem like they wanted anything to do with it. And I find that very bizarre. And when he started talking about how there were local law enforcement officers that were supposedly involved, um, it made sense to me that they wouldn't necessarily want to investigate it if they were act- actively involved in it. I mean, it was, there were there was a massive boneyard that was found, and Frederickson was the one that first went to the scene to investigate, and he talked about how you could you could clearly see that these animals had been mutilated in like a ritualistic fashion. He had taken training the year before or whatever to I, to be able to identify things like that. Um, and knew what he was looking at. And when he told the local police, they just kind of like laughed it off. They actually went out and bulldozed the site, the the burial mound or whatever, the, the mound, the boneyard, um, which oh. I find very bizarre. Like, why would they go out yeah. and bulldoze it? So they went out and covered it up um, and they claimed it was just, you know, a bunch of nonsense. And, and it got real passive aggressive too, by the way. <laughs> In the, between like John Fredericks and the, the Walworth County animal control officer and the local like Elkhorn police over what was actually taking place. It got real passive aggressive in the media. Um, they were like, they're both giving quotes back and forth about, you know, like John's like, I can't help if they don't know how to do their job. And like <laughs> local, local police is like, this guy's obviously, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about and like things like this going back and forth in media. So I thought, I thought that was kind of amusing actually, but it, I mean, like there was, there was definitely something going on. I mean, there was, there, there were occult rituals taking place, whether or not it was anything serious or just some kids out messing around. I don't know. There was a house that I, I think the, the house actually still sits there near Bray Road. It's not on Bray Road, but there's a house near Bray Road where um, John had found, you know, like inside he'd found this altar and a pentagram and you know bones were on the ground so there was and there was stuff taking place on or around bray road that would have been considered sort of a cult you know related um so that's there's an entire chapter in the movie um in our movie called uh the devil comes to elkhorn and it's yay (laughs) now are you saying when you did the interview a blackbird hit the window is that what you said yeah super creepy and we have that is so tropey yeah, oh that's God. straight out of the omen. Yeah, we have yeah. it on camera too. It's what's funny. It's like we're interviewing him, and he's talking about like those rituals, and this black bird flies headfirst into the window and leaves like one lone black feather, and it's for some reason it's just on the window there. So, and it's funny because like he turned around and was like, you know, like he's very, uh, he's very midwestern. He's very like Wisconsin. You know, he's just very. He sounds like he's from Far, you know, the movie Fargo or something. Oh, and he, yeah. like, he turns around and and he's like, "Was that a bird?" <laughs> We're just like, "Yeah, blackbird just 
flew into the window right as you were talking about the the demonic sacrifices that were taking place. So oh, it was man. it was cool. It's not in the movie, but I I, ha- I have it if we ever want to you know put it out as a special feature or something. It yeah. like the goofy outtakes, like the Jack the ending of Jackie Chan movies. Yeah, things like you know. <laughs> yeah, during the credits, we'll run that. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh man, um, a lot of people have questions for you, and uh, so I wanted to share just a few of those uh our friend Corey, he's a paranormal shutterbug from uh phantasmagoriaphoto.com and he asked um what what is the most compelling evidence in your mind of uh, any of these stories that you've covered that that you've run across hmm well like when it comes to bray road the the most interesting thing i i was able to look at for myself was um there's a there's a ranch or a farm that sits off of bowers road which is runs kind of perpendicular to bray road uh and there's a guy that owns a farm over there named lee um and lee's got this farm this kind of like skinwalker ranch-esque and he's got a lot of photos like thousands of photos and a lot of it to me, I don't see anything other than like typical lens flares and things like that. Um, so, so a lot of a lot of what I was seeing there, I wasn't super interested in. And then he proceeded to like show me this photo of what ha- has to be the most believable UFO photo I've ever seen. Like taken with one of his trail cams, I think too. There was just like this this photo of this. Um, object in in the field sitting maybe like 10 15 feet off the ground and there's what looks like a port a por- like a hole like a window and in the window you can almost see a figure i mean it's like the creepiest ufo photo i've ever seen um so that oh. was that was really interesting in the fact that it's taking place so close to bray road he also has photos that are in our movie of this mist um coming in and sort of like he put so so Lee's thing was he had a sighting for himself. He saw these red eyes in his field one night, and it kind of like set him off on trying to capture some sort of um, verification of of the Beast of Bray Road. So he started putting dead animals out in in his field for years, like a, a, a constantly. He had dead animals out in the back of his field, which is kind of weird. But anyway, he had a dead deer out one night. Yeah, you got to bait him. Yeah, he has a yeah, dead What is he going to do? He leaves this <laughs> dead deer out and um, on his trail cameras, something sets off the trail cameras and they go off for something like the trail cam went off for something like 2000 photos. Or I mean, it's some obscene amount of photos that were going off. So clearly something was moving in front of this trail camera for 6 hours. And this mist comes in over the course of the six hours and it settles over the deer. And when it goes away, the deer has gone. You see the first photo in the, wow. in the first photo, you can see the deer in the last photo. You can't see the deer. It's gone. Um, and that's in our movie. So that was really cool too. As far as like any of our other movies, I haven't, I haven't encountered anything evidence wise while we were making a movie that made me immediately go, okay, that has to be, something there's there's been some strange uh sounds we've captured while making these movies um when we were making i was filming on the trail of bigfoot in southern um or no it wouldn't be southern in oklahoma i was in the washita mountains in oklahoma and something was throwing rocks and whooping at my tent 
um, in a place where there's no people. So that that was kind of interesting. Well, as Oklahomans, not a party. <laughs> so that's just saying. Yeah. It seems to me like a lot of the movies you've done have been different iterations of, of Bigfoot, you know, seen through the, the prisms of, you know, different towns, like different people's perspectives of Bigfoot. So what are your feelings about uh, uh, Tobias Whalen from Singular Fortean asks um, what your that opinion guy. on Bigfoot? Yeah, that guy. He, he wants to know what your opinion of Bigfoot is and and uh, if you think there might be something to it. So Tobias came to uh, Bray Road while we were filming and he he happened to catch me on the day I had to have been the absolute grumpiest, most stressed out tired, cold, miserable of the oh, entire shoot. Oh, no, he shoot. didn't say that at all. He didn't oh, he yeah, up, he called you a like dick. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> no, him. Like, he showed up. We were, we were no. trying to – we wanted to have, like, a, a our fog machine going and all this stuff, and, like, we couldn't get – we could we didn't have gas for the fog machine, so we couldn't get it running. We had all this stuff. It started pouring rain when he showed up, and, like, so he, he got there just in time for, like, the worst day of the shoot to be happening. But um, anyway – um. So yeah, we've made we've made four movies of the of the seven that involve Bigfoot in some way. I don't think of Invasion on Chestnut Ridge as being a Bigfoot movie. I think it's much more about UFOs and high strangeness than than necessarily Bigfoot. But um, as for my own beliefs about it, I or belief I hate that word when it comes to this stuff. Um, my own opinion is that if they exist, it's some sort of undiscovered ape. Um, and oh, so you're more with the biological hypothesis than the supernatural? Yeah, much more when it comes to when it comes to Bigfoot. Um, and I, I I've written I, I wrote a an essay not that long ago called Why Ape that kind of goes into my opinions on why. Um, but basically, I just think that the predominant number of eyewitness reports seem to point to some sort of undiscovered ape rather than like an alien or an interdimensional traveler. I think the number, the actual number of high strangeness Bigfoot reports is much lower than you might think. Like I, th- I, th- I think it's like one in 20, one in 25 that have some sort of high strangeness aspect. And it totally makes sense though, because like you're talking about whooping and throwing rocks and stuff like that. And this creature could travel between dimensions. Mm-hmm. Is it is, woo, 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 like tossing rocks well, around and stuff? And, and like, the, come that's, on. That, that's, um, it, that's one of my biggest, it, I had this discussion with someone that was in one of our very early movies, our second movie, The Beast of Whitehall. I interviewed um, this, I don't want to, he's very reticent to say this, on camera or anything. So I don't want to say who it is, but he's, he's a very rational, sane, uh, great guy. He's got a law enforcement background, really intelligent. Um, and he's been tracking Bigfoot reports around New York state for decades. And he's got maps of, um, sighting reports. And it's really interesting because you can kind of track this almost like a migratory pattern around, it's not. I wouldn't refer to it necessarily as migration because it seems like they're staying in the area because there's frequent reports of the same creatures, but they're moving about. So they, they might be in this one spot and there's a bunch of sightings of that creature at this time of year and then this. And yet, despite that fact, he's convinced they're aliens. 
which to oh. me makes I don't understand why if they're aliens they're you're they're coming down they, to earth and like migrating around the Yeah, area. they have a, migra- a such a distinct migratory pattern. Yeah, it's really really interesting. But um so yeah, and and I always say I I was at like 30% as to whether or not Bigfoot exists until until June because I was in Oklahoma in June and something it was throwing rocks and whooping in a place. Again, this is a place where there are not people. It takes two two hours of driving off road to get to the spot we were at, and it's nice. pri- private um, conservancy land. And there, I want to go next time. <laughs> there are so many things in the forest there that want to kill you. There's there's mountain lion and bobcat and bear, and there's everything uh, around the area. So short of a person, though, I don't know what could be throwing rocks and whooping at us. And it was a, it yeah. was a really what we heard sounded like. Um, I compare it to like like an old John Wayne movie, the way the the like an Apache would whoop in a John Wayne movie, followed by what sounded like gibbon laughter. And like it was one of the craziest things. But I kept saying, I said to I said to the guy that was in the tent with me that night, I was like the. The crazy thing about it is I've always wanted to experience something, but I always assumed that when I experienced it, it would be like being on an episode of Ghost Adventures or something. You know, it's going to be like, you're going to be super creeped out and it's going to be really (laughs) creepy. And it wasn't that at all. It was like, I was listening to a natural animal in its natural environment. You know, like it's, it sounded very much like what you would expect in that, like, like it was just something being itself in its home. And yeah. We had heard owls all weekend. We'd heard um, all sorts of animal calls, you know, throughout even that same night. Um, but to to kind of get to experience that was really interesting because it was not what I was ever expecting that sort of incident to be like. So it was a different kind of call than coyote or oh yeah yeah know, yeah. We had heard online, and, and the people I was in there with are are pretty um, seasoned outdoorsmen, which I am not. Um, I've been, (laughs) I've been out in the woods when we're filming and that's about it. Like I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't refer to myself as an outdoorsman, but the people I was in there with are, um, one of the guys is like former military intelligence, worked in military for 20 years. Um, they're, they've all been in this area going into this area for the last 14 years. So they know the natural animals in that environment. And, um, I can't, it's weird. I think about it all the time. Like, cause I've always wanted that, to, something like that to happen, but to have it actually happen and kind of like, I wouldn't say it, it made me a quote unquote believer, but it moved me from like 30% to 80%. Wow. So uh, quite a dramatic ever, change. Yeah. Have people ever tried to prank you? You know, because the thing is you're coming to a lot of these small towns. Um, so the word gets around that, the, the, you know, like an Elkhorn, the word gets around fast. Oh, so it's just yelled on the street and everybody knows that somebody's talking about the beast of Bray road yeah. in these, these towns. Has anybody ever tried to like, okay, let's set them up or let's prank. That's my biggest concern with the audio we have. We recorded audio that's in boggy Creek monster. We put it in the movie. Um, and that's my biggest concern with that piece of audio is that it wasn't just someone nearby screaming. Um, I don't know what we recorded, but as far as I know, it, definitively it's never happened. 
it definitely didn't happen in Oklahoma because no one knew where I was going. That was like, and that wasn't for one of our movies. That was for the On the Trail of Bigfoot miniseries I'm doing. And that is kind of like my side project that I do whenever I, I get the time I'm filming that. So no one even know what, knew I was going to be there. So in that case, it definitely wasn't that I know of. I cannot think of anyone doing anything like that to us yet. I'm 100% sure it's going to happen. Like there's no way if someone it's knows- be me. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I come up to do the Bray Road uh, sequel, it'll be yeah. you like running around the woods. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for it to happen, though. It's going to happen. Yeah. So um, Jack, Jack Blue, a, a fellow uh, Mothman, Chicago Mothman researcher, uh, asked about uh, the, the Beast of Bray Road and the werewolf-like beings um, being observed uh, at the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. I don't know if you can, if you have any opinions on uh, any similarities or differences there, but I thought I'd ask. The the situation going on at Lee's Ranch is really similar to that. I, I say Lee's Ranch. I think we do that because it's not really a ranch. He's got a hayfield, uh, but it's a really big hayfield, and he's got a lot of like weird activity that's happened there, a lot of like orbs and railroad beast sightings and UFO sightings and all kinds of stuff. So, so there seem to be similarities between the two. I don't really have an opinion on Skinwalker. I wanted to do a Skinwalker Ranch movie. Actually, it was supposed to be our final movie in the High Strangeness trilogy, which became the Appalachian Monsters trilogy. Um, Appalachian. I'm sorry, people from that area will murder me if I say. That. <laughs> um, but so, so I, I really wanted to do some sort of movie about the Skinwalker situation, but there's a new movie coming out from uh, Jeremy uh, Cor- Corbell. I haven't seen any of his movies yet. There's, there's another Skinwalker. I don't have an opinion is, is the short answer because I don't okay. know enough. Well, that, that's just fine. And uh, just a couple more questions here uh, from our listeners. Um, so a couple of people asked uh, questions about physical characteristics of you know, dogmen uh, or Bray Road Beast type creatures. Uh, Blake Smith from uh, Monster Talk, he wanted to know if anyone has described uh, tales. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jill, I can't tell. When Blake Oak. asks a question, I can't <laughs> tell if, if he's setting me up for some sort of like skeptical, he's going to oh. nail me with, with this if I answer wrong. Oh, I don't know. I mean, he he's... I, I've been on his show, and he seems pretty open-minded. I, I know what you're saying. I mean, he's a, no, he's a super cool guy. I met him. Yeah. I met him in Kentucky last year at Crypticon. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I haven't known him to ambush anybody, but yeah, he was just wondering about tales. And uh, our, Jill, our friend uh, from Oahu, was asking about human-like fingers because she's read some werewolf tales of a beast having human-like fingers. So I, I and I just wanted to open it up in general to physical characteristics that you may have noticed in any of the creatures, you know, that, that maybe seem to be data points. So like, yeah, with the, with the Beast of Bray Road and Dogman sightings, every, everyone we talked to um, that saw it from multiple angles mentioned some sort of tale. And in fact, <clears throat> I was trying to see if I had it sitting here somewhere, but I don't see it. The the statue that Jean St. Jean did for, the Bray Road Beast movie, which our Kickstarter backers get this like amazing Beast of Bray Road statue. Um, it's got a really adorable little tail on it. Um, and I think, I think, some, <laughs> I think that's based like, like a part, cotton tail. Yeah, not, not quite that little, but like a, you know, like a, a little, well, it's fierce. It's a fearsome tail. 
Um, fearsome not adorable yeah it's a, it's a monster it's a really <laughs> monstrous tale um but i think a lot of the reports of the the beast of bray road tend to have uh like some sort of tail involved which makes sense if it's a you know if it's an upright walking dog um linda is the person to ask about that like the data point regarding tails. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, like the, the interesting thing I found about the beast of Bray road was that a lot of the sightings mentioned yellow eye shine. Um, in our movie, we went with red, uh, mostly cause I thought it suited better sort of what we were doing, which was the, you know, like it visually, I thought it was a, a, a more interesting visual to go with the red sort of eye shine. Um, and our eye shine in the movie is one of the things I'm most proud of, by the way, cause like it's a practical <laughs> effect. And we didn't use CG for it. And I think it worked so freaking well. And uh, I'm really excited for people to see the movie because we didn't, we didn't have a, obviously we never have like a very big budget, but I think we managed to create a, a Beast of Bray Road uh, practically that is actually pretty unnerving looking on camera. It's not in the trailer much. Uh, you, you might catch like quick glimpses of it, but in the movie, I think it works really well. So the eye shine, I thought was really interesting. What was the, what was the other part of this? Oh, like the hu- human like fingers. Okay, I, yeah, I was yeah. just asking about, you know, physical characteristics. And then I just have one more question, Mike, and I'll let you finish up. <laughs> the, the, the human like fingers thing is interesting because everyone we talked to, they, it was weird. I was uh, I caught this when I was wa- watching back through all the interviews. Um, people would kind of like witnesses would kind of stumble over how to identify the the hands, which I thought or paws or whatever you want to say. It was odd. Tom Brichta um, r- r- said it was very. Uh, he said it the way he said it cracks me up actually because he was like uh, the hands had quite the nails on them. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And then, um, Ricky Sanchez, who we interviewed later in the film also kind of said the same sort of thing where it it was like claw like hands rather than they don't refer to No one said they saw like paws. It's always like a hand with really long claws. And that's kind of why I think my wife did the poster the way she did with the hand. Um, it looks more like a, a creepy hand with nails instead of you know like real long nails instead of a paw with really long claws or something like that because it seems like most of the people are identifying a human-like hand with claws oh that's great jill Jill, uh, who i met at uh, hawaii paracon earlier this year will really love that answer thank you and my last question is about any historical precedents of these beasts uh from native cultures uh you know i know you know you You've done a couple of things in New York, in New York State, where the Haudenosaunee, uh, what uh, people will know as the Iroquois Confederacy, uh, is located. And I just wondered about um, maybe Haudenosaunee stories or other Native groups and their stories uh, relating to any of the films that you've made. Okay, so any any creature. Um, I know with in our movie, we talk a little bit about like the Skinwalker legends and things like that uh in the beast of bray road we don't get super into dogman like dogman and native uh lore one thing that's cut out of the movie i actually just cut out out the other day and it was more just because time than anything and it didn't add a ton to the story ricky 
who we interviewed is a is a witness and his family is Native American and they his grandma used to tell him about like these upright walking dog-like creatures that would carry um souls to the other side wow like a psychopath it's interesting because it it also ties to like the egyptian anubis like anubis is kind of the same thing it it was it was there to escort you to the other side which i thought was really weird that those two cultures that are so vastly separated would have the same sort of opinion of that one thing um and linda talked about in, in our film the way she says it is um she she actually talked to members of some of the remaining local tribes and they told her that they believed it was um, a part of the spirit world. So when it comes to Beast of Bray Road, there is sort of a belief regarding that type of creature in their culture that seems to point more toward like a spiritual being or some sort of um, guardian of the afterlife, which is Anubis was a guardian of the afterlife. Right. So I thought that was interesting, but like, I mean, the stories you mentioned, like the Iroquois had those Stonish Giants legends and and things like that. What concerns me about stuff like that is the Stonish Giants to me don't sound like Bigfoot. I know people always try to like kind of put that on top of that. And I don't necessarily see the connection there. When you go out to the Pacific Northwest, I think things change. I do think um, some of the work Kathy Strain's done really sort sort of points toward some sort of bipedal ape that native americans out in on the in the pnw sort of seem to be seeing because it's it's on their totems next to natural animals and that is something that we don't have on the east coast um people might that's that's really interesting, especially in Ohio. Ohio is supposedly like the third largest state for Bigfoot sighting reports or whatever, but there's no record of Bigfoot in Ohio amongst the native tribes that I'm aware of where I can definitively sort of say that sounds exactly like a Bigfoot. Their, their totems don't have them. Their carvings, like the way they would carve spoons, they would carve natural animals sort of onto their utensils that they would eat with. And those don't exist there 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 aren't any of those that look like a, some sort of ape which i think is a a warning sign as far as ohio goes i'm not saying bigfoot doesn't exist in ohio i'm not saying bigfoot exists period because i don't know but but like i do think that's a kind of a red flag all right now seth when is the beast of bray road coming out when can people pick it up the movie comes out on october 5th um the first screening is next weekend in Indianapolis at Horror Hound. Um, and then it screens again at the uh, International Bigfoot Conference out in Washington uh, the following weekend, which I'll be at. And then it, it will play again at Cryptid Con the first weekend in September. Well, I guess it's the second weekend in September, technically. Um, and Linda will be there for that, too. So Linda and I will get to watch the movie together, and hopefully she doesn't turn around and backhand me when it ends. <laughs> um, and then uh, after that, it plays again in um, Milwaukee at the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Paracon. That'll be kind of the Wisconsin premiere of the Yay. movie. We'll be at the Milwaukee Paracon as well, uh, October 20th. So uh, we're excited excited cool. to see it and now one last question how much influence did you take from the 2006 blockbuster the beast of bray road 
<laughs> I tried. I tried watching it. I tried watching it recently and couldn't even make it like 15 minutes in. So not <laughs> not much. Not much. No. I uh, you know I, I, I've seen it and it is uh, cinematic dreck. I think yeah. would be a polite way to put it. It's a really nice way. That's nice of you to say it that way. And that film has never even seen the inside of a cinema. So yeah. let's not even think about it. Anyways, I just wanted to make, wanted to make sure that your movie was going to be nothing like that one. No, um, considerably better, I would hope. <laughs> all right, so everybody, make sure you check out the show notes because uh, you're going to get to see links to all of Seth's work and the Small Town Monsters and series and things like that. We're going to have that in the show notes, so check there. Thank you very much for joining us today, Seth. We had a great time talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Wendy, I still can't believe that we have a Beast of Bray Road sighting like in our personal circle. I know. It's so cool. It's really awesome. And a trustworthy source as well. Yeah, this isn't a guy that's like a whack job. Yeah, he's not going to make something up just for entertainment purposes or anything like that. He's a real guy. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's really, it's a cool story. So now we've got that in our circle. So that's kind of fun. So I can't, I I wish we'd have thought about this and we could have had Seth interview him. That would have been movie. so cool, yeah. Right, and we hope, like, maybe they think it's a Sunspot producer or something like underneath. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's how we do it. Anyway, so that was a lot of fun. Make sure you check out the Bray Road Beast movie when it comes out on October 5th. And we're going to try to make one of the screenings. I think one of the screenings is going to be in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee Paracon. So. Oh, awesome. Yes, I totally want to see that. Can't yeah, wait. We'll be there causing problem. I'll be the guy throwing vegetables at the screen. Uh, <laughs> anyway, vegetables. so make sure you check that out. Anyway. so the Cheese. Song... You have to throw cheese at the screen, Mike. <laughs> I guess since we're here, I guess we do. Um, but the problem is, is trying to find spoiled cheese in Wisconsin <laughs> is hard. <laughs> yeah, it gets eaten before it goes bad. Totally gets eaten. Like, or, or made into cheese heads. Well, think about... So Wendy and I are playing a show yesterday, and we're playing in Paoli, Wisconsin, and we have a fun show. And in the end, we get paid the usual. Right. Like, they give us our money, and then we sold some CDs, and we're having a nice time. And then we also got paid in cheese. Yeah, they came up to us, and they're like, did you get your uh, your cheese yet? And like, what? <laughs> and it was, like, impressively aged, like, 15-year aged cheddar. That is yeah, good no, stuff. Like in the cheddar, and the that cheese, cheddar could get its temps in the cheese currency. That is valuable <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it was such a ridiculous thing. So what a compliment! So we even get paid in cheese in Wisconsin. Like literally, we get paid in cheese in Wisconsin. <laughs> like five so blocks of fifteen-year-age cheddar. That's well, like seventy-five right. years. Seventy-five years of cheese. Is, yes, that is that is the value of our music. <laughs> Speaking of our music, the song this week is a fun one. It's a bluesy number. It's the kind of number you might hear if you go see an acoustic duo somewhere in Elkhorn, Wisconsin. <laughs> or Paoli. Or Paoli. And we've played nearby to the Beast of... Actually, I might put that video, because remember we went out we to went the to Bray Road? Road. Yeah. Yes. It was scary. And I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, because Wendy and I went to Bray Road yes. and we went looking for the Beast ourselves. But so this this is the kind of song. Cause the thing is, we all go out investigating, like Wendy and I going out to Bray Road and seeing what we can find, or how many times you go to a cemetery or a ghost tour, or you know, just t- to check out and maybe have a haunted experience, or maybe see like, well, maybe Bigfoot will show up this time. Well, most of the time that, that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and so you wind up empty-handed. And so the song this week, it's about a lady who doesn't always believe. That uh, her man's out there going hunting cryptids, mm. and uh, 
Right. You know, it's like, because when you're fishing, you come back with a fish. You, you'll hear the song and you kind of get to it. But that, that's the idea behind this week's Sunspot track, Hunting Monsters. For listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. We've got a Patreon hangout coming up really soon, Mike. Yes, we do. And I think we're going to have a lot to talk about because it'll be right after the Michigan Paracon happens. Hells yes, it will. Big old road trip up there. And yeah. so, uh, Patreon members, our fine, fine patrons... Please keep a lookout for the poll that we're posting to see which time and day would be best for you. We're going to either go for a Wednesday or Thursday evening. And so if you have a preference on that, make sure you vote in the poll. We really want to include everybody. So let us know what works for you. And Mike, we got to give a special shout out to one of our awesome patrons. That's right. Dr. Ned. Dr. Ned, thank you for your support because you help keep the See You on the Other Side podcast fresh and going every single week. 
Thanks, Ned. You're awesome. And all of our Patreon members are awesome. Oh my and gosh! So, the, like, so, so awesome. this week we had a we had a big ding 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 at the beginning. <laughs> we invited a new Patreon member to the crew, and we would like to invite you to the crew. So if you would be interested in joining our Patreon private um, Facebook party. discussion group, Patreon be interested private party, the Patreon private <laughs> party. Uh, then the best way to do that is just going to othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and you can find a way to join in the fun with the See You on the Other Side podcast, new Sunspot songs, yeah. special videos for the Patreons, copies of new music, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Just check it out, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And it's just as low as $3 a month, so you can join the Hangouts and be part of our uh, fun Patreon yeah. private party. Right, for the price of a cup of coffee. <laughs> Actually, it's less than a cup of coffee in some It is places. less than a cup of coffee. I had an iced coffee at the neighborhood place uh, on Saturday morning, and I paid $4.25. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, unless you go to Quick Trip, in which case it's like the price of two cups of coffee <laughs> with sure. a refill mug. But anyway. <laughs> Either way, for the price... For less than the price of a cup of coffee at a gourmet coffee establishment, <laughs> you can be a Patreon member of the Sea on the Other Side and hang out and hang out with us literally in the Hangouts yeah. and participate in the discussion in the Facebook group, suggest topics. Uh, we try to follow up with guests after we've talked to them with questions from the Patreons, and we'd like to do that for you. So, othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and we'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. I'll be the guy throwing vegetables at the screen. <laughs>